Well, the uh, the time of my life that that convinced me I needed to change, I was sitting in jail cell, mm-hmm. and I was looking at 96 years in prison, and. I had to be brutally honest with myself. I'd look in the mirror and, and I thought, you know, if this is the result of my best thinking, then something's got to change. So, and, and it was from there. But just this past year, has God been opening the door with uh, Kairos Prison Ministry um, for us to be board members and, and work on different venues, helping incarcerated people see that there's hope. The, We've got some some studying to do. You've got some time to do it now. So let's start. So I and that's what I did. I, I looked at my time in uh, in prison as uh, as my uh, education. Yeah. You know, one day you wake up and right before you, everything that you've ever worked for is right there in all in all of its glory. You know, a successful business, a bustling home, and smiles all around. But then things start to change slowly at first. But like a rock rolling down down the hill, by the time you realize where it's going, it's just too late and maybe just too much work to stop it. Soon, your life is nothing like it used to be. And well, today, my guests share their ex- this exact story and how they were able to turn around their entire lives. Now, before we get into all that, I just want to remind you that if you want to, you're interested in raising your standards as a father, a husband, an entrepreneur, I encourage you to participate in our Band of Brothers group mentorship program. You know, we're just a group of ordinary guys working towards living extraordinary lives. You can find us at the Awakened Man Training Academy at members.theawakenedman.net. With that, let's get on with today's episode. The average man today is sleepwalking through life, many never reaching their true potential, let alone ever crossing the finish line to living a purposeful life. Yet, the hunger still exists, albeit buried amidst his cluttered mind, misguided beliefs, and values that no longer serve him. It's time to align yourself for greatness. It's time to become a revolutionary man. Stay strong, my brother. Welcome, everyone, to the Revolutionary Man podcast. I'm the founder of the Awakened Man Movement and your host, Alan DeMonso. Let me ask you a couple of questions before we get started. Do you have the fortitude to see and know when things in your life are going off course? And if not, are you open enough to hear it from others that care about you? You know, all of us make decisions daily. Decisions we make lead us either to get closer or further away from living the highest visions of our lives. And sometimes those decisions take us to the deepest and darkest places. But it is in those moments that we are at the bottom, when we are at the bottom, that we get the opportunity to change our lives once and for all. Well, today, my guests share this incredible redemption story, and I think it's one, I would say that it's one from, one from fear to faith. So allow me to introduce my guests. So Nicole Thompson is a published author, and she's here with her husband, and whose testimony of deliverance from a meth addiction and insanity of living a life that is impacting the lives of everyone that it had touched. And in her testimony of 16 years of freedom, and it has brought the, not only healing and understanding and deliverance to many, but it's because of this simple gospel of ma- message of God's mercy and forgiveness. And currently, while she's traveling and speaks on her book and on her tour of the 50 Shades of Truth, there also brings hope for everything that she and her husband's doing. So I want to welcome the two of you, Nikki and Anthony, to the show. How are things today? Excellent. Glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, great to have you. As we were saying, we're getting started. I was really excited when I was reading about your background, your story, and what the two of you have gone through and that having you on the show, I think today is going to be so powerful for folks when they get to hear this episode. 
So as you know, in our work here with The Awakened Man, we're always talking about all of us being on a hero's quest. And so I'll put this question to you, Anthony. Tell us about a particular time in your life when you were challenged, maybe you felt lost and you knew things had to change. What did you do to, what, how did that experience shape you in, in the work that you're doing today and the man that you are? Well, the, uh, the time of my life that, that convinced me I needed to change, I was sitting in a jail cell. Mm. And I was looking at 96 years in prison and I had to be brutally honest with myself. I look in the mirror and, and I thought, you know, if this is the result of my best thinking, then something's got to change. So, and, and it was from there that I uh, started on my quest to, uh, to know the Lord. Uh, truth is the one thing that, that I've always set my sights on even in my insanity i just i wasn't a um, i wasn't a real good liar but uh looking at myself in a, a stainless steel mirror in a jail cell the the truth was you know this is not gonna work yeah and i started from there absolutely and what and and what a place to finally find that truth right and then not only at, at that time things weren't weren't all roses either for you, Nikki. Isn't that correct? Yes. So we were separated and divorced when Anthony found himself in prison. And I had been using for about four or five months, four months or so, uh, methamphetamine. And so it just was a spiral out of control for basically the next three and a half years until he would show up at my doorstep. Incredible, right? And and as I had said in the intro, you both of you had a successful business. So it's not like life wasn't going well at some point. Life was going extremely well. And yet things happen in our lives. And I just thought if we could spend some time and talk about how easily we can be, uh, I don't know if it's necessarily what the right word here, if, if we just get lulled into this belief that, you know, everything is fine and we can't see the challenges in front of us. I was wondering if you could, the two of you could talk a little bit about what that was like and how and how it was it took what it took for you to finally wake up and realize that things needed to change. Well, I'll start and then let him tell one of the favorite stories I have. So when we first were married 25 years ago, as you said, we were blessed with a construction company. And with that, we brought in several friends from Anthony's past. We were sober, clean, a, a good family. And we believed that our family friendly lifestyle was going to be able to impact all of these workers. And when Anthony found himself in prison four years later, um, God revealed to him a key moment mm -hmm. where um, bad company truly does corrupt good morals. And so that, that definitely we can see where we were pushing the bar and I'll let him share that story. Sure. Well, well, to set the uh, the stage, first of all, we got to understand that 25 years ago, we had basically no foundation in the knowledge of the Word of God. So when we're using scriptures to uh, describe events in our lives today, we were not aware of these scriptures then. Uh, so the, uh, the bad company corrupts good manners. Uh, at one point in time, we had about 25 or 26 guys working for us uh, full time. And the majority of those guys were, were fellows that I'd grown up with in the past, people that I'd known. Everybody had a skill set, roofers, siders, and all that. So, I mean, 
like Nikki said, we were trying to influence these people, giving them uh, a, an opportunity to, to, you know, get their lives together, get them some money in their pockets and stuff, take care of their families and, and try to affect them that way. And, uh, well, that, that doesn't work because within about six months, uh, the drugs, the alcohol, the, the lies, the, the, the infidelity that these men were, were casually just walking in began to creep into our home. And, uh, and it was just, you know, a short time after that, that I found myself, I uh, found ourselves, uh, starting to, uh, sell, sell pot, sell meth, uh, and then all kinds of other stuff come along with that. But, uh, in jail, I, I, I literally asked God, how does this happen? I mean, cause when we married, we, we had a really good, strong desire to, to walk correct, to do right, to help others. I mean, we weren't, we weren't like this, uh, crazy couple that was okay. Now we're together. Let's just sell meth and everything. We didn't do that. But, uh, I asked God, how does this happen? And he brought me back to a, a moment, yeah. the very first time that I, the, the compromise that I made, uh, I had a, a fellow that worked for us come in and ask me if, uh, if I knew where to get some marijuana at. And of course I'm like, dude, you know, I don't, I don't mess with that stuff anymore. I've been clean over five years now. He goes, yeah, I know you don't do it, but it's not like you forgot everybody that does. And, uh, it's going to take me longer to, uh, <laughs> to, to dig up what went through my mind in about 15 seconds. It's going to take me about three minutes to explain it. Yeah. First of all, this guy, he's got hair down past his shoulders. He's about 130 pounds. He's six foot tall, six one. Uh, he's been on drugs for a long time. Uh, he's driving an old Ford pickup truck with, uh, ladder racks on it, rusted out all around it, no exhaust on it, barely any brakes. He's got a warrant for his arrest and no license. Hmm. He's my siding applicator. <laughs> <laughs> In just a, a short period of time, the thought goes through my mind. Look, I mean, I know somebody that I could send him to, so it's not that big a deal. But if this guy leaves here today looking to go buy weed and he gets arrested, first of all, my siding job doesn't get done. He's already like five or six hundred dollars, you know, into me for the job. I'd have to bond him out, which would totally obliterate what he would make on the job. So I'd have to pay him even more to keep him going for the next. I mean, it was, it's like the compromise was there. So I said, OK, I'll make a call. Mm -hmm. So I called somebody and I said, hey, I got a guy I'd like to do this. And he's like, OK, that's fine. But uh, don't send him to my house. I'm like, well, you know, I don't. I don't want to come and get it. He goes, well, you know, you haven't been out of the game for that long that you can't send somebody. I don't know to my house. So here I am now I'm stuck. Yeah. I tell the guy, okay, this is the last time. Don't ask again. I go over the guy convinces me. Well, you know, the guy's going to be back, you know, that. So here buy this amount. That way you'll have some, you won't have to keep making this trip. I went back. Gave him what he wanted, told him, don't say anything. I had a little bit more that he could get later. And uh, next thing I know, the, the following day, one of my roofers comes and says, hey, can you get some more of that stuff that you got for this guy? And I'm like, well, here we go. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't two weeks 
and I found myself driving back and forth, uh, picking up 20 and 30 pounds of marijuana, cocaine, making methamphetamine. I mean, it's, it happens so fast. And, and, and like I said, even myself, you know, after I had been arrested, I, you know, trying to look back, it's like, how did this, how did this happen? You know, that's where God took me. That was my first compromise. Obviously, we compromise in our in, in our mind and stuff, but the first physical act of compromise. And from there, I mean, like I said, I was facing 96 years. Only took four months. Yeah. Four months. And, and, and it was just ridiculous. Unbelievable. And what I, you know, and just to point, just to make sure everyone understands, this is, you are, are a strong couple. You are good, good people. This isn't, this isn't like, uh, something that happened because of, you know, uh, bad upbringing or whatever the typical, whatever thought it was, this, you guys are, are outstanding people and this can happen to any of us. And I love Tony that you use the word comp, the compromise. I have never, I've never heard of it put that way. And as uh, yeah. and as a father of a, of a drug addict, who's currently incarcerated right now and going through his struggles in life, I think of him and the decisions and the compromise that has had to make and the challenge and the, you know, well, this one time will be okay. And that vicious cycle of what it, you know, to take it, to be able to turn that around. And, and thankfully yeah. for, for you, you were able to find, you were able to be calm enough to hear that voice, to hear yeah. God's voice for you in order to start to make that change. So what would, what, so now you guys do a bunch of other work, but is it hard sharing all of these intimate details with everyone and, and talking about it? Know. Or do you find this Not at more, Not more therapy? No, it's when I share what I've been through. And of course the same with my wife, all it does is just magnifies the goodness of God that he could take somebody like me that, I mean, went completely off the rails. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, down, down into some really sordid life, uh, lifestyles that, you know, that, uh, that he could take me and 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 set me on a high place yeah. to where I could tell the story about how his love, his mercy, his grace, and his trust. His but he the Lord believes in us even more than we believe in ourselves. Yeah, you know, but he, it's because he understands what his spirit is capable of accomplishing in us when we yield to the truth of his word. Yeah, hundred percent. And now you had said, I think Nikki, you had mentioned that it. Had, you know, it, it took some time there for, for Tony to come back. And so a couple, uh, a double question here for yourself, Tony, you know, what was that like to be able to come back and ask for, I'm, I'm going to put words in your mouth here. You can clarify when you get a chance to ask for forgiveness or to ask Nikki to take you back in, into, into your life. And then for you, Nikki, on your, in the work that you were doing. And at that point, what would that, what was that like? And if you wonder if you could share that part of the story. Yeah. So um, the three and a half years he was in prison, I was on meth the whole time, drinking drugs, uh, just craziness. And I would get these letters and every letter was filled with scripture, apologies, you know, that, you know, he was so sorry he had changed. He knew what he did wrong. And every letter he would sign love always and forever your husband. Well, later he explained that he was standing on Romans 4, 17, calling those things which be not as though they already were because we were divorced. And I was like, he's an idiot. He lost his shot. Like 
what we didn't say was we had nine kids. We had wow. eight kids when we got married and then we had one together. And so literally eight kids under one roof. So, you know, not bragging, but, but we were trying to do the best that we could with the tools we had. Yeah. And so I felt mad at him and definitely angry at God because how could God rip our family apart, allow us to rip our family. And I didn't have any ownership. I didn't, I didn't see my role in any of it. I blamed him for everything. And so when he got out of prison, he showed up at my doorstep and instantly the thoughts were like, oh, you better slam that door. Like, look at him. Look at you. He is disgusted. He is here to judge you. You know, he's a holier than thou Christian. He will not put up with you, like live in the lifestyle you're living. Um, I know that I had a blown out vein. At that time, he didn't know that I had gone that far in the meth world. And so um, I was very scared of not just the judgment, but of the consequences that, that he would definitely impose, or so I thought. Hmm. Um, I was going to slam the door, and our five-year-old, Freddie, came running in and said, Oh, daddy, daddy. And so I couldn't, I had to let him come in and I had to listen. And we went to the kitchen to sit down and talk and Freddie would not calm down. Like he was so excited to see his dad. We got to remember I was in prison for three and a half years. So he was 18 months when, when I left the, the, the house and yet he still, even just a, a couple of visits that she was able to make, he could still recognize my voice without even seeing me. Yeah. Because he'd yeah. come running and it was daddy, daddy, daddy. Yeah. So um, I'm again believing that I'm about to get a lecture and I had continued to ask Freddie, go in the other room, let us be going. And he wouldn't listen. And before I knew it, a whole slew of curse words came out of my mouth to my five-year-old telling him to get into the bleepity bleep of the room. And as he held his head down and began to cry, these big old crocodile tears, I knew for sure I had done it. Like that was it. And Tony just held up his hand and he said, Freddie, come here. And he picked Freddie up and he put him in his lap and he just began to hug him and like rub his fingers through his hair, lovingly caress his back. And he started to say things like, Freddie, mommy and daddy love you. Mm. And mommy and daddy really want to hear what you have to say. But first, mommy and daddy need to talk. Everything you have to say is so important to us. And mommy and daddy will come hear what you have to say. But we need you to be the obedient little boy that you are. Go in the other room. And when we're done, we'll come in. And to be honest, like I had never witnessed that. Like that was literally the kindness and goodness of God on display that we read about in Romans 2, 4, you know, or even the fruit of the spirit, like love, joy, patience, kindness, goodness, but most of all, self-control. How much self-control does it take yeah. when someone attacks your child verbally, hurts them, and you don't lash back out? And so he was able to pull me into his peace. And every doubt I had was erased that day. Like I call it my Damascus Road experience. Um, I share it every opportunity I get because I believe that that is the key identifier when you are connected to the love of God and you have that, you're able to give that. And when we can give that, we are able to see people change. That's what melts hearts. It says that's what woos a person in and causes them to want what we have. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, 
That morning I woke up hating Tony Thompson. There was no way we were getting back together. <laughs> By lunchtime, I was ready to buy whatever he had. <laughs> like I wanted it desperately. <laughs> Outstanding. Outstanding. Any more thoughts on that, uh, Tony, and from your perspective? Well, just to, to build off of that, like uh, in, in Nikki's book, she uh, she discusses, I mean, her Damascus Road experience, but uh, unfortunately, there were, were a, a few other uh, setbacks between then and the time that uh, we actually moved to uh, uh, a place called Kankakee, Illinois. Never heard of it in my life. Uh, I had... had uh, filled out paperwork for a parole address one of course back to where we lived in our hometown and the other to chicago illinois where i still have family and and uh, i could go to work immediately there so obviously there's plenty of work there so you know i get to this place called kankakee illinois and i'm like okay god what's this all about you know because i don't have no idea where i'm at here <laughs> and i prayed and i asked god to uh to show me which you know where he wanted me to go. Should I go to, back up to Chicago or should I go back to my hometown? Tell me where he wants me to go. And I went into this little uh, a gospel shop and I was reading through some of the cards and stuff there. And one of the things that I picked up spoke to me so, I mean, so clearly, so vividly. And it said, bloom right where you're planted. Hmm. And I mean, it was like I, God couldn't have spoke audibly and been any clearer. And I said, okay, God, I mean, I don't understand this at all, but the first thing I'm going to need is a job. Then I'm going to need a place to stay. And then, you know, I I want my family. It's like, you know, and in that order, that's exactly what I got. Uh, I had a place to stay. Guy comes uh, and shows up at eight o'clock in the morning. One of the guys that was working with him didn't show up that day asked me if I wanted to fill in. I started working for him. We were trimming trees, cutting down trees. And it started from there. Uh, within about two weeks, Nikki had finally moved uh, from our hometown to where I was at. We, uh, God provided a, uh, a little trailer in a trailer park for us to start out in. I mean, I know that's so cliche, but <laughs> that's how God, you know, humble beginnings. And I, and, and you know what? Going from, you know, living in a $100,000 home at that time and, and owning, you know, so much property and so many, I mean, a business, we were, we were making about $30,000 a month, legit money. Pre-drugs. Yeah. Before, before we any drugs. Even, yeah. We didn't even need the we, money. Yeah. That's what's horrible about it. Yeah, when it you think about the, what happens. It was never the money. Like I said, the, the compromise wasn't because I needed money. The compromise was because, you know, I, I allowed somebody else's vice to uh, uh, cause me to choose to become a part of that yeah. vice. And from there, you know, the vice, you know, I, I had my own after that. I mean, it's just ridiculous how quickly it happened. But the, uh, uh, the, the, the place that we ended up, you know, in the trailer park, we started immediately. I, the very next year, I started a new business, uh, just doing lawn maintenance and uh, tree removal and, and landscaping and, Within a couple of years, we were doing sixty to eighty thousand dollars a year, which was, you know, obviously so far beneath what we were accustomed to. But more it, than enough. But but it, it was more than enough, and and we had so much time. We could travel. We could go do things. We we had you know where we could minister to people, minister our children, or growing adult children and whatnot. So it was, 
And even today, I mean, I'm, I'm not making $300,000 a year like I was, but we have so much. And we have, I mean, the, the opportunities that we have because of the time yeah. that we're, we still have is, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's worth more than any amount of money. Well, for sure. And because the, the perspective changed now completely, right? And, and because yeah. you, were, you were open <clears throat> and willing to hear as opposed to being in a do state. And I think that's what happens for a lot of us is that we're so busy doing things and that we don't have time to listen to when, when God is speaking to us. And when we do, we don't really need as much as we think, and we can actually survive and thrive much greater. And that really leads me into the next, uh, next thing I want to talk about. I really wanted to get into the work that the two of you are doing. And so I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about Celebrate Recovery and your prisoner to preacher uh, work that you're doing. Well, in uh, 2016, our, our pastor approached us about uh, starting up a, a Celebrate Recovery program. He'd heard about our story from a, a couple of the people that we were at church with. Uh, we, we, we gave a, a snippet of our testimony over lunch one day, and he was, you know, just, he was like, he was amazed. And he's like, yeah, we need, we need guys like you to be able to, to launch a, a program. They tried to launch it like three or four other times. It just never would get off the ground. Uh, looking back at our beginnings, I can, I can probably pinpoint the reason why uh, it's commitment. It's commitment. Yeah. It was, it was a struggle in the beginning. So we, we, uh, we took the training about nine months of training uh, the following year, 2017, uh, April 6th, we opened the doors for the first time, uh, celebrate recovery Thursday evenings at, uh, 515. We serve a meal, six o'clock, large group, seven o'clock, small groups, uh, their covenant community church here in Madisonville, Kentucky. And, uh, we've, we've been going ever since, of course, through COVID, we got shut down like everybody else did. And unfortunately, when we opened back up, the majority of uh, our men's group, which I led, mm-hmm. uh, had relapsed. Uh, the money and stuff that, uh, that there was a lot of stuff coming through COVID, and, and yeah. it was just it was not healthy. Uh, we've got some of them that are showing back up. You know, some of them part time, some of them you know, you know just once in a great while. But uh, the the celebrate recovery is doing well now. We're running about sixty to seventy people a week again, mostly women. We have a uh, women's uh, uh, what is it? A women's recovery, recovery house. There's well, a couple yeah, of them here in town. Yeah, so they they bring all their women there, and it's really great because Nikki has nice. been able to really impact a lot of those women, and we even have some of them are turning out as volunteers now, yeah. and and their their lives are starting to you know starting to change because of you know the influence and what yeah. they're feeding on instead of the uh, negativity. You keep around positive people, you know, speaking the word of God, speaking life over their situations. Uh, one of our, our guiding principles is the scripture, you know, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed hmm. by the renewing of your mind. Continual yeah. renewing of the mind. Yeah. Well, the thing of it is, I mean, what I re- I recognize in myself, so I, I'm sure that other people struggle with this, just the things that I thought I knew that didn't work. I mean, I had to be willing to actually allow the word of God to replace what I believed. And, and the, when I did, then when I started doing this, things yeah. started working out really well, but, uh, 
you know, to, to get that impetus started, I mean, you got to first realize that, that God wouldn't tell us to renew our mind if our mind wasn't messed up. So, you know. <laughs> sure. And one of the reasons why we love leading Celebrate Recovery is because it has such a proven discipleship process, you know, um, and honestly, everyone needs Celebrate Recovery. It is not just for drug addicts. Uh, the hurts, habits, and hangups, everyone has stuff that they need to deal with through the word of God to heal and then move forward and not be hung up on their past. And so part of the biggest blessing is we get to walk alongside discipling people. And that's what Anthony's talking about, that mentorship. Uh, we also run the food bank for the church. And so I probably have anywhere from 5, 10, 15 different people from Celebrate Recovery that have merged over into the food bank and, and vice versa. Um, and then uh, over the past few years, COVID did kind of slow down Prisoner to Preacher. We launched that when we moved up here to Madisonville. But just in the past year or so, we've always shared at recovery houses and rehabs and churches. But just this past year, is God been opening the door with a Kairos prison ministry um, for us to be board members and, and work on different venues, helping incarcerated people see that there's hope mm -hmm. that, that they don't have to have what they settled for. There are options. And so I think I love that most watching my husband mentor men, because that's, that's a big part of what's missing in today's society. And I know from a personal standpoint, we just had a friend tell us a couple weeks ago when they watched us worshiping on a Wednesday night and how Anthony would hold me that that's their goal to have a godly man that will pray and hold them. And, you know, and so if, if, if that's what my job is to enjoy my marriage and my life, man, I'm the most blessed woman in the world. It's a Seriously. tough job. It's, I mean, it's worth it. It's so worth it. Well, coming, coming out of uh, prison, you know, serving three and a half years in prison, uh, I didn't have a, a, a lot of support while I was in prison. Uh, my children were not allowed to uh, uh, communicate with me. Uh, a couple of, of different, my first marriage, I had three children. I had... Uh, another two children by another woman after that. And uh, so, but they weren't, uh, they weren't allowed to communicate with me much. And of course they were young, so I didn't get a lot of financial support. So I started reaching out to uh, ministries, you know, it's like, uh, and I'm not plugging for anybody, but I, I Kenneth Hagan, Kenneth Copeland, I mean, uh, Joyce Meyer, I, I would write to them. And I mean, my, my money that I had from state pay, I would use it for, postage to reach out to these ministries and then all of a sudden they started sending me bible studies and but you know to all kinds of stuff and, and well i mean i i would just devour it as soon as it came uh and i realized that i needed to reach out to a lot more places so uh, there come jesse Duplantis and you know uh preflo dollar all these pr tv preachers and stuff that i knew had the resources and uh and then all of a sudden uh i, I started getting involved with the chaplaincy there in the, in the prison and uh, things started moving. I, I was able to do some college courses and watch some studying uh, for a, uh, uh, just for my own personal use. Not like I was trying to, to, you know, go to seminary or anything, but uh, 
I learned a lot of stuff. So when I come out of prison, I realize that there's a lot of men in prison that, that like myself, don't have a lot of family support. You know, most of the guys that, that are going through their, you know, drug addicts and whatnot, they've burned a lot of bridges before they've ever got to that point. So uh, those people got to know that there's a God that, that loves them and, and accepts them and, 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 and not just, you know, wants to uh, uh, forgive them, but wants to, to have a relationship, a, a yes. close, strong father-son, father-daughter relationship and because uh, all my life growing up, I, I, I was raised a Catholic and then I started going to a Baptist church. So I was in really deep stuff because uh, <laughs> the, the Catholic people didn't teach me anything much about uh, the love of God. And the Baptist told me that, it's, you know, God's going to send sinners to hell. And I mean, I, I knew that I didn't have a chance. <laughs> so it was coming through that. Uh, that foundation mm. that I had uh, in my belief that God set me free from that. I mean, I, like I said, I ran from God for years and years. And then all of a sudden here I am, God saying, it's okay. You know, like when, when uh, Peter, James and John were there at the Mount of Transfiguration, you know, Peter speaks up and says, Hey, it's good for us to be here. You know, let's build booths for y'all. And essentially putting Jesus on the same plane as the law and the prophets. And that's when the father spoke. He says, this is my beloved son. Hear him. Not them. Yeah. Hear him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as the cloud and all that, you know, that, that, that appeared and Peter and everybody were all afraid. You know, what was Jesus's first words to them was, you know, to censor them and to rebuke them for trying to put him. up. No, it was. Don't be afraid. Yeah. Arise. You know, and, and that's what these men and women coming out of, you know, through these prisons, uh, they need to learn not to fear God. Yeah. And not only not just to fear him, but realize that he wants them to rise up. Yeah. You know, so, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, just being forgiven, I'll forgive you. But, you know, I better watch my P's and Q's and duck and dots. And, and it's, I mean, that's what I thought. Yes, absolutely. And it was, you know, it's a miserable life. So (laughs) you you alluded to the book and our traveling. We've been blessed to go northeast, south and west. We've been to Minnesota, New Orleans, Virginia, Kansas, like all over sharing our testimony of God restoring our marriage, because that's what the book is, the testimony um, of the freedom we found. And one of my favorite parts almost every time we speak, Anthony will say, and he will call the audience out and talk about that moment when he realized I was exactly where he left me, where he led me as the spiritual leader. And so we really try to talk to our men and women about intentionality and that, um, you know, their past doesn't have to define them, but through Christ and that relationship and just beholding Jesus they will be able to give that to their families as yeah. the leaders. Well, God had spoke to me one time in prison and I was, it was one of those times where, you know, I was holding conversation. We were having dialogue. Uh, and I asked the Lord, you know, some, something about, you know, you know, why my, my wife, what, what, what should I pray for to try to draw my wife back in? And he wasn't as loving sounding as I would have hoped. He says, well, just realize that where your wife is right now 
is exactly where you led her. Mm. He said, I gave you one job, lead your family to me. Mm. Where she's at is where you led her. If you would have led her to me, she'd still be here. Yeah. And I mean, I, it, that, that, that crushed me inside, but the truth, not only does it, does it cut, but that cut is, is a cut from a loving friend, a loving father. It's not like he was trying to, uh, uh, guilt me up, but to let me know that my responsibility is still the same Yeah, to lead my wife and family to Christ. So it's been since, you know, uh, 2006, uh, April 21st, uh, when I was released from prison, I've done everything that I know how to do to make sure that, that uh, the love of God, the goodness of God, uh, to the best of my ability as a, as a weak human, you know, in a, in a human frail body, but uh, to try to show them and, and keep on display what, what Christ would do in, in every situation. I'm not, I'm definitely not perfect at it, but, you know, God shows me that uh, his perfection, his love for me is more important than my love for him. Yeah. Absolutely. Such, what's such powerful commentary here? And I just wanted a couple of things that I had jotted down. You talked about, you really talked about, you know, how our past, you know, d- it doesn't have to define us. And, and in our work, I always talk about how our past will shape us. It's our, it's up to us to decide what that shape's going to be. Are we going to choose to have it shape us and, and continue to make poor choices in our life? Or are we going to choose to make it, uh, make it, something that we can grow and learn from and expand. And, and when we do that, then I think then we're more open and willing to hear other voices, to hear that calmness in us. And yeah. because we're such, I just think about how much we're in a, just, just this do, do, do state. And, and in, uh, and in our, uh, in our work, we t- I always talk about guys being uh, just sleepwalking through life. Cause I really believe, you know, even today, you know, it's, it's progress over perfection. You know, uh, we have, we have a way forward. Are we just willing to take one step? Can we take that one? To, it's one step today. It doesn't have to be the whole journey today, but are you willing yes. to take the one step? And, uh, and the other part, when you talked about, uh, your wife was where she's at because that's where you where you've led her, I think is, is so powerful as well is because we don't realize as men, it, yeah, again, it goes back to that compromise, the little, you had the compromise with the choice on the, on the marijuana, but the compromise in our day-to-day lives that we're making to our spouses and our children and to ourselves. I, I interviewed a gentleman a while back uh, uh, and he talked, his, his talk was all about the, you know, the promise to the one and his, that one was, you know, to yourself. And what promises are we making? And then really it's about the decisions we make in our life. And you're saying virtually the exact same thing. And I just think it's so powerful about the transformation and the work that the two of you are doing. So why the go right ahead? God, said, God tells us in the scriptures that he who is forgiven much will love much. Yes. And on the surface, that would sound like, you know, well, a guy like me uh, who who's, lived a life of debauchery and a life, you know, a, a sinful life. Uh, I should have a whole lot more love in my heart for the Lord because of all that I've been forgiven of. Mm. But the actual, the, the truth is that each one of us, I don't care if, if you was a if manufactured methamphetamine and was a serial killer. <laughs> yeah. The, the guy who has, 
uh, lied to his wife or, or, or the wife who's cheated on her husband one time is deserving of the same separation from God, which is the spiritual death that, you know, that, that, that the next person uh, is deserving of. So I think it's a whole lot more about how much we recognize what we've actually been delivered from mm-hmm. in, in that, which would determine how much we believe we've been forgiven. Yeah. Because those who are for, forgiven much, I know I've been forgiven much, but it's not much in the, the quantity of sins. It's it's the fact that I've been delivered from an eternal death, period. Mm-hmm. And uh, those that actually come to that, that recognition, uh, when they begin to experience the love of God, because you know, they said, you know, there's there's torment in fear. So to be saved and still be afraid that, you know, maybe there's something that, you know, that which was what I was, I was in torment. Well, that God, you know, freed me from that by, by revealing to me how the, the depth and the, you know, the wet, the width, the breadth, yes. the height and depth of his love. It's just, it's, it's just as eternal and unconditional as what Christ did on the cross. I mean, it's one and done and and it never changes. So. Absolutely. I just want to touch a little bit about on, on the book, the 50 shades of truth. And you talk about where the risk word truth is really, really made up of a bunch of lies that we tell ourselves. And just thought if you could just share a little bit about that and about how the book came to be and, and what the goal of it is. So it's the gist is the media. I talk about the music that we listen to, the shows we watch, um, on our phones, scrolling, and it is just talking about the desensitization of Mm. our moral compass and how um, that when I was in my addiction, I could recall songs and shows and things that I let in that um, just made me go deeper and deeper and deeper into my sin. Mm -hmm. And so um, I had struggled with just loose living, drugs, everything that God freed me from. And I wanted to share um, with others that may not be aware those lies and how the enemy twists scripture. And so we are in a season right now in America mostly, but of course in the world where um, feelings trump everything. And there is a new definition in 2016 called absolute or called um, post-truth. And so I compare it with absolute truth, which is the word of God. But post-truth means what I feel is what dictates what is true. And that's how we get all of this, you know, fluidity and all of these different things that are compromised. They are 100% compromised. Well, if it feels good, do it. Well, we know as ex-drug addicts that instant gratification serves our flesh and we're called to die to our flesh daily. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's, it's a blessing to get to do that. I think about my worst day with Jesus is still a million times better than my best day out there in the madness. And so I talk about my drug addiction, uh, addiction to pornography, loose living, and the different things like Grand Theft Auto um, and, mm-hmm. and other things that we allow our children to see. And we're supposed to protect them. Going back to what my husband said about where is my wife and where are my children? They're where I led them. 
well, also what you allow them to witness. Because when we stand before God, we will give answer for what we allowed in our home. Mm -hmm. And so as parents, as people of the church, of the community, um, it does take a village to raise a child. We have become foster parents. And um, for us, discipleship is everything. Pouring on to the next generation, the but freedom. A, but it takes a village of like-minded Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. But we want to spread that knowledge because I think, you know, you talked about men walking through life kind of on autopilot. That That's the church. We have been asleep at the wheel and um, just trying to do our best to provide and we've forgotten some of the key fundamentals of training up our children and teaching them right from wrong. You know, in Deuteronomy, it says, you know, to show them in the morning when we walk along the trail, when we sit down at the table, when we lie down for bed, if we are not giving our children consistent examples of that's not God's best. I mean, we don't want to push hate, but that's not God's best for you. Mm -hmm. um, and then sharing where um, you can have victory and you can overcome and you can succeed. And so that's what the book is about, to give hope to parents if their kids are in addiction. Um, it is for the addict, wanting out, wanting hope. Um, we send it to lots of rehabs. Uh, we currently have a mission on Prisoner to Preacher where if someone goes to the website and buys the book, for every book purchased for $20, we send one to a local prison or jail. And so we've already we've we've only covered like five states so far because it's a it's a big challenge, but sure. we're up for it. So every time we sell a book at twenty dollars, we donate one because we believe the ripple effect of my husband. I know what I experience. Yeah, I know what my kids are experiencing, and um, we want to be able to pass that on to others. Love it, just love it. You, the two of you are doing such phenomenal work, and. We could go on for uh, for a couple more hours, so we want to be respectful of everyone's time and everything. So of everything that we've spoken about today, and maybe there might be something I didn't get a chance to touch on, what would be the one takeaway you would want our listeners to have? What he's done, what he's done for us, he can do for them. We're, I mean, we're no, God is no respecter of persons. It is all about um, entering into his, like, letting him download his love, realizing the Bible is his love story. It's not a list of do's or don'ts, but of how much he loves us and wants to protect us. Um, I think about our dog, Mama Mays. We have a shock collar um, on her because she would run and we have woods behind us and a highway in front of us. And the reason we put that on her is so she can have a parameter to safely play within. And that's our Bible. That's our playbook to dwell on things that are pure, holy, and lovely, and to be intentional about what we continue to entertain, because it's as simple as what we behold, we will become. And so when we're beholding Jesus, even the word of God promises us that as we behold him, mm. um, and you quote the scripture all the time. Mm -hmm. yeah. As we behold him, we're changed into his image. And the beholding is done through the scriptures obviously so yeah. the the one thing that uh it it's there's always hope mm -hmm. there's always hope uh, even in the most hopeless situation like i found myself in uh, in the prison cell you know i i, I knew that it, there was no way that i was going to uh, get out of the, the legal situation without some kind of consequences. 
uh, you know, I didn't want to plead guilty to anything. You know, I want to fight this. I want to do. But it, the reality was that uh, the minimum that, that I was going to end up with if I didn't uh, get a plea book, plea agreement with the prosecutor was about 15 years. So, you know, out of 96, okay, 15 still, you know, it's a, <laughs> a lot less, but I don't want to do that either. Uh, and then all of a sudden, with, without without any discussion about it at all, my attorney shows up and says, hey, they want to offer you X amount of time. If you'll just plead guilty to this one, they'll dismiss all these others, which, you know, literally gave me half of what I could have expected. And I knew that was God, you know, telling me you know, that we've got some, some studying to do. You've got some time to do it now. Yeah. So let's start. So I, and that's what I did. I, I looked at my time in, uh, in prison as, uh, as my, uh, education. Yeah. Uh, I spent every day, every day in the word of God, every day praying for my wife and children. There's many times, uh, she's, she's, uh, shared with me how she would be out, you know, in the madness and certain things would line up to where, you know, she was shielded from this or this. And, you know, she said, I can only imagine that, you know, cause I, I'd get up in the middle of the night, God would wake me up and I would just start praying, not praying tongues. I'd pray, you know, specifically I'd ask God, you know, who am I praying for? And, uh, lo and behold, the, the vast majority of the times was her and my children, obviously. And, uh, Today, today, if there's if there's if there's anything I could share with anybody, is to know that when you speak, God's listening. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He tells every every he tells us in the Bible, by our words we'll be justified, mm-hmm. by our words we'll be condemned. We will be held accountable for every non-working idle word. Uh, I mean, is, we we've been you know in our culture. Everybody just wants to speak their mind. Yeah. Well, that's dangerous, especially if your mind has not been regenerated. So, uh, and, and of course, to, to even speak that to somebody who has no understanding of the scriptures, I mean, you you got to tiptoe into that, obviously. But uh, sometimes, you know, when you get a captive audience like we got at Celebrate Recovery or uh, in, in any of the jail ministries or the prison ministries that we're connected with, uh, most of the people that come to those things are looking to hear something to uh, initiate change in their, yeah. in their life. Uh, most of them don't recognize that, it's, that it takes place in the heart first. You know, mm-hmm. the, you know we, we listen. The Bible says, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing. I just learned a, 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 a new uh, uh, teaching about the, the, the places in the Bible in the Old Testament where, where it talks about uh, Hearken diligently, diligently, or or uh, being obedient. Uh, uh, it gives another adjective. Well, that it, it's literally a Hebrew phrase made up of two words, and they're both Shema, Shema. Which the Shema in in the, the Israelites, the, that's the thing that the Israelites would uh, would pronounce. Uh, it's it's the hero hero Israel or the Lord our God is one Lord, and they would be able to pronounce this. But the word Shema is literally here, mm. and when it's when it's used double Shema Shema, the, the Hebrew phrase it's pronounced Shemua Tishma, but it's literally Shema Shema doubled five places. Of course, five is the number of grace in the Bible. Five places 
where Shema Shema is used, and each one of them is followed by a great blessing. One's healing, one's uh, a relationship to your family, one's well, your possession, your, your provision. So all five of them have great a great blessing pronounced after it, where God is telling us the the literal uh, uh, rendering of that would be hear hearing or be a hearing hearer or a listening listener. So it's not enough to, uh, you know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing. Faith doesn't come by having heard. Yeah. Faith comes Continual. by hearing. Contin- so, I mean, in, in the Old Testament, even it tells you, you know, write them on your doorpost, write them on your forehead. I mean, everywhere you go. I mean, so we literally, I mean, podcasts, downloads, I mean, everything. Daylight to dark. We're feeding on the word of God. And, and believe it or not, our lives are rich because, because of, of that. I mean, not, not just not just uh, uh, bearable or endurable or anything, because we, ha- we have a lot of challenges. We're in ministry. Come on. <laughs> we have a lot of challenges. But we recognize that those challenges are opportunities for us to overcome. Yeah, you know, we're we're overcomers. That's what God says. We're overcomers. We overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the word of our testimony. He done the work. We, we, enjoy, share about we, it. we enjoy the blessing by sharing it. <laughs> right on. Wow. What a great way to wrap up our, our talk today. Just really enjoyed having both of you on the show. I want to say thank you so much for spending time and showing us the power that faith can not only save ourselves, but some, and sometimes even our marriages, if we're willing to do that. Now, if someone wanted to be, wanted to get involved in your programs and reach out and get a hold of you, how, what would be the best way for them to do that? Uh, 50 shades of truth. Uh, com, so it's number five zero shades of truth or prisoner the number two preacher.org. That is our 501c3 nonprofit. We've had it for the past six years and we're just expecting God to do great things. We just want him, we're we're ready vessels. Right on. I'll make sure all that information's in the show notes for this episode so people can get an opportunity to reach out with reach out and spend time with you folks. Just want to say Absolutely. once again, thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciated it. Thank yes, you. it was thank a pleasure. You. Thank you for listening to the Revolutionary Man podcast. Are you ready to own your destiny? To become more the man you are destined to be? Join the brotherhood that is The Awakened Man at theawakenedman.net and start forging a new destiny today.